You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Welcome to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. The industry of agriculture continues to move forward. Things are changing. We're going to talk about a lot of different factors today. Joining us in just a moment, we're going to talk with Kevin McNew. He's the economist at Farmers Business Network. Recently, he's been taking a look and making some forecasts for 2023, and he's been talking about them on the road with farmers. We're going to get an update from Kevin in just a moment. And then in segment two, we're going to talk with Dan Halster, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Very, very strong protein export sports in 2022 and some tailwinds as we look ahead to 2023. Before we talk with Arlen Suderman here in segment three about what is moving in the markets today and in the immediate future, and we're going to close today by talking weather, looking at the forecast for breaking this drought longer term with Greg Solier, meteorologist from This Week in Agribusiness. So folks, stay with us. We're going to get to all of that. But first, let's talk 2023 grain Outlook. Kevin McNew, Chief Economist at Farmers Business Network. Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Now, I understand you've recently published a couple of different reports taking a look at the global grain outlook for 2023 and also looking at some of the details on the wheat seedings report, Kevin. I want to pick your brain first on this global grain outlook. What's your take? What's FBN's take here for grain prices in 23? Yeah, as, as farmers look at 23, I mean, it's going to look a lot like 22 with some minor modifications. You know, first of all, I think costs will get marginally better. We're not going to see wholesale changes in terms of fertilizer and chem, but they're going to be slightly better than what we were seeing in 22. On the grain sides, uh, prices will be probably at where they're at um, with some modifications around, you know, who's going to be leading and who's going to be following. I do think the upside looks really promising for corn. You know, one of the things we've been looking at at FBN is kind of long-term trends around the world for global uh, grain supply and demand. And what we've seen over the last decade is a pretty dramatic shift where demand for grains and oil seeds is outstripping supply. And these are long-term trends. We're talking like decade-long trends. And, and that is a huge paradigm shift from, say, the last 50 years, going back to, say, the Green Revolution in the 50s and 60s. You know, it's usually the case where, you know, productivity and, and new technologies have helped agricultural productivity grow at a faster pace than demand. But this time in the last decade is kind of the first time we've seen that big, big paradigm shift. So my message to farmers as we uh, talk to them around the country is that, you know, the prices we see today are not likely going to uh, dramatically reduce uh, in, the, in the years ahead. All right. Looking for a little bit of stability, even though these prices are still uh, still elevated here, Kevin. Yeah, actually, I mean, I think, like I said, I think, you know, the, the corn market looks really promising. We have some challenges, uh, you know, in South America, especially with a third year in a row of La Nina. Uh, you know, I'm sure your, your uh, later call, uh, discussion with Alan Suderman will be enlightening around that. But, uh, you know, I do think, uh, you know, there's a lot of positivity in the corn market that, uh, you know, right now we're facing some headwinds around trade and exports. Uh, but there's some good signs in that. You know, the U.S. dollar has weakened uh, starting kind of in October. That's reversed a, a big trend up that happened in the first nine months of 22. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, this week alone, we've had Colombia and Mexico step in and buy some, uh, buy some U.S. corn, which is another positive signal that uh, maybe the corn export program is shifting a little bit. You mentioned input prices might be seeing a bit of a come down in cost. Kevin, oil, energy markets, they have been hot in 2022. The tail down that we've seen here recently, do you expect that to continue on into 23? I think we're maybe hitting a plateau of that where, you know, we'll probably uh, stabilize, maybe even move higher. I don't think we're going to see prices continue to erode like we have in the last month or two. It's certainly been a positive sign. You know, for the broader economy, natural gas is off sharply, uh, you know, really kind of tied to, you know, better weather across the globe. You know, Europe was just so frantic about concerns about the winter, and, and they've had a mild winter. And, of course, our winter 
other than that brief period of about three or four days has been pretty mild as well. So natural gas uh, has, has uh, you know, improved, which is positive for, for nitrogen fertilizer prices this spring. And, and so we are seeing anhydrous and urea come down. Uh, but again, they're a far cry from where we were in 2021. So prices are still very high. Uh, my advice to farmers is, you know, you're probably going to want to go ahead and lock it in. I don't think we're going to get a big downgrade in fertilizer values between, say, now and spring. Uh, and I think availability will be a little better than it was, say, uh, last year as well. Well, that would be good news. It'd be nice to be able to breathe a little bit easier from a fertilizer front. Kevin, while we've got you, I want to turn the focus over to the wheat seedings report just briefly. There's been a lot of conversation about the dismal condition of the U.S. winter wheat crop out in the fields today. You looked back through history. Does the condition of the wheat crop this time of year matter in terms of total production? You know, not really. I mean, it's it's something the, the trade will focus on, but, you know, the correlation between, you know, this time of year's conditions and final yields are just, they're not there. You know, I can't, I can't hang my head on, on this, uh, you know, being a bad situation and, and really, really moving the final yield number. What, what kind of surprised me about the wheat seedings report was just how, not only how big the number was, but, you know, in some of the areas where we saw big expansions. I mean, Texas was a state that had a huge increase in winter wheat seedings. And, you know, they had, you have to go back to 1990, the last time their winter wheat plantings were this high. So, you know, I think that pretends uh, what we may see in the spring report. You know, those acres had to come out of something. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what lost ground uh, this, uh, this coming spring in, in the spring report. Kevin, with this big growth in, in winter wheat acres, is there the potential we could see a jump in double cropped soybean acres later this summer? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's a, a real possibility. You know, you saw Southern, uh, you know, you saw the Southern states certainly increase winter wheat, uh, even Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, not, not big winter wheat growers, but I think those Southern areas of those states, they do have the opportunity for double crop. And so I do think that's probably what, what is happening is those guys are gonna, gonna do a wheat bean double crop situation because of the favorable returns. It makes sense. The money is there. Kevin, I understand you are going out taking this information to farmers here across the Midwest. And this week on Thursday, you are going to be in Carroll, Iowa. Can you give us the details as to where and when on Thursday the 19th? Yeah, uh, on my way there now, as a matter of fact, uh, we'll be in the steakhouse there, Beretta Steakhouse, uh, 11.30 uh, this morning. And, uh, you know, hopefully any producers will uh, get out on the road. I know snow's, uh, snow's a welcome but challenging obstacle for getting out. Uh, I can tell you on the road it's not too bad. So I hope to see farmers there. Absolutely. That's Barada Steakhouse. And Kevin, you mentioned that's 1130 to 230 on Thursday, the 19th. That's today, folks. If you want to mark that on your calendar, you can get to Carol. Hear Kevin's thoughts on what is moving in these markets and what the grain outlook could look like here as we get deeper into 2023. We've been speaking with Kevin McNew. He is the chief economist for FBN. And Kevin, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thanks, Mike. And folks, stay tuned. When AOA returns, we're going to check in with Dan Halstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, just about how 2022's meat export prospects have looked, and they've been strong. Stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. In farming, you know being early means you're right on time. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can protect your investment and give your farm an advantage all season long. Find the tools and resources you need to spray early and guarantee your weed control at roundupreadyextend.com slash spray early. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow past site label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. 
Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions. IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. And each month, we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month. And you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Are you heading to NCBA in New Orleans? On Thursday, February 2nd, stop by the Christian Hansen booth, number 1639, for some exciting live radio. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the Christian Hansen booth. That's number 1639 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Thursday. On Friday, stop by the Learning Lounge. At 1130, I'll be facilitating Christian Hansen's panel discussion on the benefits from the daily consumption of probiotics in beef cattle. We'll see you in New Orleans. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. Eleven million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Over the past year, we've been checking in on a regular basis with our friends from the U.S. Meat Export Federation. And it seemed like almost every month when we talked to them, sales were strong, values were high, demand was good. It looked like 2022 was going to be a very strong year for meat exports. And now that we're getting to the close of it, we're starting to see that final data come in. Now it's safe to say we've got a couple of records in the protein space in 2022. Joining us now to talk about this and celebrate some of the movement we had in 2022 is Dan Halstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, whether it's beef or pork, demand was strong this past year, wasn't it? It sure was, Mike, and good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, the November data came in and the trend lines continue. Um, you know, the uh, starting with beef, uh, we're down slightly in November, but, but we did establish a record uh, for the year, only through 11 months through November. And uh, once again, some pretty strong broad-based growth, uh, Korea, China, Hong Kong, uh, the ASEAN region with the Philippines and Vietnam. And similar to previous months on beef, we're establishing these records with our largest uh, market, uh, Japan, actually being down a bit. And uh, once again, as I mentioned a month ago, uh, this probably has a lot to do with the strong currency, which devalued to the extent of 40% last uh, November. So uh, the fact that your largest market can be off a bit and you're still setting records, I think is a really good uh, indicator going forward. Dan, that's a really good point. As we think about that Asian region that you highlighted, of course, China's been grappling with COVID uh, here over the past few months. Have we seen that impact their purchases of, of fresh protein? You know, um, it's definitely impacted uh, protein purchases at food service. Uh, food service has absolutely been decimated on again, off again, as far as starting back up. And the zero COVID policy is just, it's just been a mess. Uh, that being said, the retail and online business has been booming. And uh, as you've seen over the past uh, seven, eight months, uh, the, the beef business and now the pork business as well is starting to come back into China. 
Uh, and one thing for your listeners that's changed is that uh, in December, and of course we don't have December data yet, but in December the Chinese announced the lifting of the zero COVID policy. Uh, while this is a really good sign, a little more medium and long term uh, for increased demand potential for beef in particular, um, it is a really dire situation over there right now on, on the health system. I mean, there's a lot of, there's tens of thousands of cases of COVID. Uh, the, the health systems are being stretched to the limit. So it's not the best situation at the moment, but this, this will equilibrate and uh, they'll get it under control. And the fact that the uh, announcement was made to lift the zero COVID policy and, and basically allow people to, to try to get back to normal Eventually, when the dust settles, this will help demand for us later in 2023. All right. You highlighted there, uh, Dan, Korea. I also understand Vietnam, the Philippines. They have been aggressive buyers of beef off and on in 2022. Did that continue on into November? It did, yeah. Philippines and Vietnam were up big. Um, in fact, percentage-wise, our largest growth uh, of any uh, of the markets in the month of November we had the Philippines up uh, doubling, uh, actually, and, and the Vietnam volume tripled up to about 1,300 tons from the previous year. So while the numbers are small, the percentage growth rates are big in some of these newer, uh, less uh, established markets. So, and, and I have to say on the pork side as well, uh, um, you know, we saw some growth out of the same region, the Philippines in particular. Uh, you know, Mexico continues to be the story on pork. We had an extremely big November on pork. Uh, up 3%, but one of the largest months, it is the largest month of the year in 2022, was in November, uh, across a variety of markets. So, uh, yeah, a pretty good situation. As we thought, the pork uh, situation would rebound, and we've been seeing that since about September. Dan, this massive growth in exports into Mexico on the pork side, was that something that USMEF was planning for, or was this a, a shock that kind of caught us a little off guard? Well, I don't think it's a shock that the volumes uh, were going there on the, on the you know, large percentage of hams. There's also a lot of shoulder meats that go in there and variety meats. What surprised us was the value. Um, it, it wasn't too long ago, just a few years ago, anytime ham, the ham price would go over 70 or 80 cents, it would slow down demand. Uh, that was not the case this year. We, we had several months where the prices were well over a dollar and, and the demand just kept going. So, uh, you know, I think there's some factors at play there. Um, you know, of course, the high path avian influenza situation uh, is affecting North America. Uh, but but even with that, demand was very solid for uh, for U.S. pork, and Mexico is turning into an extremely reliable buyer. The other thing to remember about Mexico is the Asian currencies were devaluing for most of last year. Mexico actually did not. So they, the Mexican peso has been in that 19 to 20 peso per dollar range the entire year. Uh, I think that's just a testament to the fact that the economy is pretty solid. The North American economy has been pretty solid compared to maybe some of the other parts of the world. Dan, you know, the other parts of the world, of course, when we're thinking pork, oftentimes we talk Asia, but we can, I want to continue the focus right here in the Western Hemisphere because the Dominican Republic continues to be a huge buyer of pork as they grapple with African swine fever. How did they, how did their total imports look so far through November? November. Yeah, uh, you're exactly right. We're uh, we're at 10,000 tons, uh, you know, uh, in the month of November. Year to date, we're up 42 percent, 76,000 tons versus 53,000 a year ago. So there is no doubt that uh, they're they're you know they need to fill the void with imports, and uh, the U.S. is, is the logical partner. So uh, um, you know, needless to say, uh, that's been a very good market. Uh, it's been a very good market for a long time, but it's been, it's jumped obviously with their situation locally with ASF. It has been. And Dan, you said something there that, that has got me wondering, the U.S. is the logical place to purchase pork for both Mexico, for the Dominican Republic, for really any place in the Western Hemisphere. But when you have a country like the DR grappling with, with a herd health issue, are they importing pork from any other place as well? Are they going global in their pork uh, pork needs? 
I think they are. They're, they're, they're importing from places besides just the U.S., but, but when you look at the supply chain, the supply chain is set up in such a way that the U.S. has a lot of advantages, not, not only advantages uh, in terms of geographic location, but in terms of getting chilled product down there uh, as well as frozen product. Uh, it's just uh, uh, the, the overall situation favors the U.S. versus importing from you know, a place like Brazil or a place such as uh, Europe. So, uh, yeah, we do have competitors there, but uh, we have the lion's share of, of the uh, business for those reasons. Dan, before we let you go, I did want to talk. We've we've talked the records here in the beef value. We've talked records in pork volume. We've also got very, very strong export sales happening in the lamb market. Do you have those details handy? Yeah, the lamb business continues to see uh, growth on the muscle meats. Um, you know, the leaders there, uh, you know, of course, are the Caribbean uh, as well as Mexico. But Canada, um, you've got Taiwan, you've got uh, even Japan taking a little bit more. It's very low numbers, but there is growth. So, uh, yeah, I think um, you know, when you look at uh, – telling the story of U.S. land that's much different than our global competitors in terms of, uh, you know, high-value grain-fed lamb, um, you know, it's, it's, it takes a bit of work because the prices are not the lowest. Uh, they, they are higher, but uh, also the eating experience is much higher as well. So we've seen some success, and, and uh, like I said, uh, there's some upward potential there as well as we go forward. Well, going forward, Dan, I understand we've also uh, signed an agreement here with the EU on their tariff rate quotas. This is something that I know you were a part of negotiating here two years ago. Does this open up some more export potential into Europe in 23? Yeah, it potentially could. I, I think this will be a modest change that we knew this was coming. Uh, this basically takes into account the fact that the UK left the, the EU and uh, or just now getting around to shifting some of the quotas. So the, on the good news side, there is a larger uh, portion of the pork quota shift from the EU to the UK. This is good for us because a large alliance share of the pork business, it's not big, but the business that we do uh, over there is mainly to the UK. So this could potentially help us. Uh, also, the, the shift from the EU to the UK and the Hilton quota, uh, you know, it, it, the Hilton quota has a 20% duty. It really has nothing to do with the, uh, the the U.S. deal that was done several years ago for the zero quota duty. So it doesn't impact that. In fact, uh, looking to the future, you could make the argument that the U.K., we could use some zero quota access to the U.K. in the future. Well, hopefully those ne negotiations will begin shortly. Folks, we have been talking with Dan Halstrom, the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Anytime, Mike. And folks, stay with us. We'll talk markets with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist from Stonex, when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Heading to NCBA in New Orleans? February's monthly grind is taking place live on the showroom floor on Wednesday, February 1st from 9 to 10 a.m. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. Also, on Thursday at 1230 in the Learning Lounge, I'll be facilitating NCGA's panel discussion with special guests from the U.S. MEF and Port of New Orleans on what you need to know about the value of trade and exports to your operation. We'll see you in New Orleans. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Grains and livestock are mixed to mostly lower this morning. Grains are getting a bit of bearish pressure from some slightly improving weather conditions in Argentina. 
Also, winter precipitation visited drought-afflicted states of Nebraska, Kansas, and Oklahoma yesterday with more chances for precipitation in the next 6 to 10 days. Now, what possibly might give them a little support today is this afternoon's update from the Buenos Aires Grain Exchange is apt to show another week of poor crop ratings in Argentina. Also, later today, the U.S. Energy Department will have an update of ethanol production, and tomorrow morning, USDA will have its weekly export sales report that was pushed back because of Martin Luther King Day earlier this week. And with the slightly improving weather, in Argentina. That is putting some pressure on soybeans as well. But the larger bearish threat to beans is the anticipation of a 5.62 billion bushel harvest in Brazil that's just getting underway. U.S. soybean export sales are off to a good start in 22-23, but are already starting to slow as the trade anticipates lower prices on the way. Prospects for soybean demand from China continue to look strong in spite of their economic problems. And USDA only expects to earn 10 million bushels of ending soybean stocks in 22-23 as domestic crush demand for soybeans is apt to remain quite strong. Demand for U.S. wheat remains at a bit of a slow pace, but has been active enough to surprise traders with only 1.28 billion bushels of December 1st wheat stocks and support a U.S. ending stocks estimate of 567 million bushels. That would be the lowest in 15 years. And Russia continues to slow walk inspections of ships going to and from the three approved Ukrainian ports, increasing costs for shippers and reducing volumes of products exported. Now that slowdown did start in October when Russia appeared frustrated with the volume of shipments coming out of Ukraine at the expense of Russian exports. And as a result, 121 ships were waiting for inspection at the JCC yesterday, 28 loaded with grain heading out from Ukraine and 93 heading toward Ukrainian ports. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. It's time to turn our attention over to the commodity markets. We're seeing the grains, well, both sides have unchanged. Corn up and beans down and wheat, a little bit mixed today. Joining us for an update on the factors that are moving these markets is Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with StoneX. And Arlen, thanks for joining us today. It's good to be back with you, Mike. Let's talk about what is going on or what happened on Wednesday in the soybean market. Arlen, we saw a bit of a turnaround there in that trade on Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, we really did. And yeah, our days are all off this week with Monday being a holiday for the markets. And and it really goes back to last week's uh, USD WASD report on Thursday, which was really considered pretty friendly for corn, soybeans, and wheat for the most part. And we saw money flowing into those markets. And then on Friday, the conviction simply wasn't there ahead of a three-day holiday weekend. So then when the markets opened up on Sunday night, we saw the overseas the traders selling it. And so we came in Tuesday morning weaker, and uh, that didn't last long. We tried to rally. In fact, we pushed above the December 30 highs on the corn and soybean charts, and uh, that was a positive sign, but we had trouble holding it. We came back yesterday, tried those highs again, made new highs, uh, but couldn't hold it. So this is a market trying to find its identity right now. 
do we have a bullish enough story to sustain a move in this market or do we not? There are some fund managers who want to own these commodities on the fact that global supplies are tight and there's not much margin for error. And I think China Chinese demand is going to increase during the current year as their economy rebounds following coming out of three years of COVID restrictions. And there are others who say there's ample supplies. We want to sell it. So both the rallies and, and the breaks are being um, traded right now, and this market's simply looking for an identity. On the bull side of the soybean market identity, Arlen, is the trade still looking at Argentina as potentially the catalyst for a move upwards? They are. And that's the biggest story they have right now. The secondary story would be the expectations for China to increase demand. Ironically, USDA uh, actually cut Chinese imports in their balance sheet last Thursday by 2 million metric tons. They did that because they increased the size of China's crop from last year by 2 million metric tons. So, um, you know, USDA is showing weaker demand, but the markets want to show stronger demand. But the Argentine drought is the big story. USDA came down in their production estimate uh, for Argentina down to 45.5 million metric tons. One million metric tons is just shy of 37 million bushels. And, and if you look at the uh, Buenos Aires grain exchange in Argentina, they have the crop at 41 million metric tons. The Rosario grain exchange has it at 37 million metric tons. So there's quite a divergence of different estimates, and that's because the drought is intense, but yet there's a good share of the soybean crop that's still early enough that it could respond to late rains if they come. And there's some signs now that they may start coming as we get into next this weekend into next week. So that's the big difference in opinions. I went through and I did some calculations. Uh, there's pretty good consensus right now in the industry that the Brazilian crop is probably close to 153 million metric tons, just a massive crop there. If you look at Paraguay, say they have a, some drought problems, Uruguay, um, make a few reductions there. In Argentina, if you take a worst-case scenario of 37 million metric tons, that the Rosario Grain Exchange has right now, that gives you total South American production for those four countries of 202.3 million metric tons. That's still up 23.9 million metric tons from last year, or 878 million bushels. So it's, it's all relative. Does Argentina have problems? Yes, it does but it's already starting to buy soybeans from Brazil to come down to Paraná River to be crushed at the Rosario Grain Exchange, which is what happens to most of Argentina's soybeans getting crushed and exported as meal and oil. And so the bottom line is I think there's a lot more people starting to realize that even with the major problems that Argentina has, Brazil's massive crop is going to do more than offset those losses and give us ample supplies, even if we see China increase their demand, as I think that they will. Arlen, with that being the case, is there the risk that this old crop bean market, let's say we get to the harvest, we wrap that up in Brazil, they do end up coming in 23 million metric tons as a continent higher than they were last year. Could the rug then get pulled out of this old crop bean market? Yeah, I think that's the real risk here. And, and frankly, you know, I've learned over the last four decades, you don't argue with the money flow, and the money flow has been positive for soybeans, and we've been pushing higher. I did not expect us to go above $15, and we've been doing that. We've been struggling since we did it, struggling to sustain that rally. That doesn't surprise me. But so far, the trend is still higher, even with these dynamics in play. So I'm not going to argue with the money flow, but at the same time, I'm going to understand the risk that is underneath of this market and make sure that that's part of my risk management plan. Well, Arlen, another risk that might be developing, I'd like to get your take on it here in the soybean market, is the crush risk. December results came out yesterday. We saw, I believe, the lowest December crush in three years in 2022. Is that accurate? 
Yeah, we did see a surprisingly lower crush number for December, and it came in about 5 million bushels below what the trade was anticipating. We usually see an increase, and we saw a little bit of a reduction. Part of that was because of one less business day during the month of December this year versus last year. Um, but uh, it, it certainly did show up and surprise the trade a little bit. And if you look at now the the crush to date for the soybean marketing year, it's running about 15 million bushels below the seasonal pace needed to hit USDA's target. I had anticipated that we would exceed USDA's target by about 30 to 40 million bushels when we started this marketing year, and instead that crush is going slower um, than anticipated and coming in below. So that's another factor we're going to have to watch as we go forward and uh, see what happens with this domestic demand. We still expect it to be solid overall, but probably not as strong as we initially thought. All right, Arlen, bringing it back domestically here on the corn front, as you mentioned, we had Martin Luther King Day holiday on Monday, so export sales, the report will be delayed until tomorrow. But in spite of that, we've had a couple flash sale announcements on corn. Um, anything sizable enough to the market for, for the market to get excited? Uh, not really at this point. Now, we are becoming the cheaper source of corn now is our competitors. Ukraine's largely not a factor like they used to be because of the war. Um, Argentina and Brazil are our major competitors now in the world market, and they're running tight on supplies now as they're wrapping up their old crop exporting marketing year. Uh, and so as we look at uh, exports, we are becoming the source, and that's typical for this time of year. And so we typically do see an increase in shipments uh, from about 25 up to about 50 million bushels per week over the next several months. But the fact is that we're so far behind the seasonal pace needed to hit USDA's target, we need to see shipments go up to 60 to 70 million bushels per week in order to try to close that gap, even though USDA's brought that target down significantly over the last couple of of WASD reports, we need to see a much bigger jump in those shipments. So uh, the fact that we are starting to see some sales is not surprising, and they need to be much more than what we've seen. Arlen, on the ethanol front, we've been talking about the weakness in crude oil price, bringing down that price at the pump and, uh, you know, making ethanol perhaps a little bit less competitive as we get into 2023. As this energy market seems to have found some legs this week, can we uh, worry a little bit less about a downturn in, in ethanol grind? Well, here again, I'm a little bit disappointed. Uh, we were we started off the year weak, um, then we made that up, and we were running right at the pace we needed to be in order to hit USDA's target for the year. And then several weeks ago, things all started to fall apart. We saw some shutdowns. Some of it was weather-related. Some of it was margin-related. Uh, and we really dropped off. And so right now we're running about 25 million bushels below the seasonal pace needed to hit USDA's target for the year to date. Um, so we need to see that pick up. We need to see, uh, and, and I think we will see energy prices go up as we go through the year, I think, and that's going to help the ethanol industry. Um, but right now we're lagging, and, and it's just not giving us anything to really help support uh, a rally in the market. I do feel like corn stocks globally are tight. I do feel like we don't have much margin for error. If we have a significant problem, we already know we have a significant problem with Argentina's crop. And if a significant problem opens up with Brazil's safrina crop, which hasn't even been planted yet, if La Nina ends, that increases the risk. It doesn't determine that it'll be so, but it does increase the risk that we will dry out over safrina corn belt. So we'll be monitoring. If that happens, then we could see some excitement in this corn market over the next two to three months. But otherwise, we'll probably continue to chop around in this area. Arlen, the Brazilian safrina impact on the market, we'll start to watch for that dryness in another six weeks before we could see it have an impact on the trade? Yeah, the, the crop needs to be planted by March 1st, pretty much, uh, so that it can go through pollination before the, the dry season starts in late April. And uh, so that's going to be the key. The question is, what are March and April rains going to be like? Are they going to drop off dramatically? Uh, that's what we're going to be watching. All right, folks, stay tuned. Weather is going to have an impact on all of our bottom lines this next year. We've been talking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with StoneX. And Arlen, thanks for joining us today. 
Thank you, Mike. And we're going to talk weather in the next segment with Greg Solier, meteorologist from This Week in Agribusiness. He's going to share his outlook for drought relief in the months ahead. Stay tuned for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Are you heading to NCBA in New Orleans? On Thursday, February 2nd, stop by the Christian Hansen booth, number 1639, for some exciting live radio. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the Christian Hansen booth. That's number 1639 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Thursday. On Friday, stop by the Learning Lounge. At 1130, I'll be facilitating Christian Hansen's panel discussion on the benefits from the daily consumption of probiotics in beef cattle. We'll see you in New Orleans. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. In farming, you know being early means you're right on time. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can protect your investment and give your farm an advantage all season long. Find the tools and resources you need to spray early and guarantee your weed control at roundupreadyextend.com slash spray early. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow past site label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. 
Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, welcome back to AOA. The conversation continues this morning, and now we're turning our focus over to the weather. Much of the central part of the U.S. has seen some action here over the past couple of days. Joining us now with a look at what was there and what could be coming is meteorologist Greg Solier from This Week in Agribusiness. And Greg, bring us up to speed on this winter storm. Is she moving off quite yet? Uh, yeah, on the move as we uh, speak, but still uh, kind of a wraparound effect, if you will, of uh, the storm system. Well, there's still some reports of snow coming on down into eastern through central and northern Iowa right now. Some of those snows are making their way into northwest Illinois. A few flakes as far south as about Columbia, uh, Missouri this morning. The snows are more really persistent and heaviest south and east of the Twin Cities, and they kind of jog northward up around that big musky fishing capital world through northern Wisconsin, upper Michigan, and from there, east and southeast. And yeah, a couple of the select bigger, broader snowfall totals, 13.9 inches at North Platte, Nebraska. Think of that as drought relief, ladies and gentlemen. Seven inches at Valentine, Nebraska. Drought relief. Look at it from that perspective. Six and a half to seven around the Norfolk area and a pretty good corridor of generally five to ten couple of pockets approaching a foot. They do extend towards the Corn Palace region from there up towards Albert Lee, Austin, Minnesota, the Twin Cities, and ultimately through northern and central Wisconsin. And if you melt kind of down this snowfall, it's comparable to maybe about a half to maybe an inch worth of rain, if you were to put it in springtime perspective. And so, yeah, once again, you know, you don't really think about it, but it is drop relief, assuming we can get an even keeled. That's a lot to assume. You know, snow melt going here in spring precipitation patterns. So look at it from that context. Additional drought relief despite slow go and stalled out travel on the rural route in areas to the south and east out of the Dakotas. Greg, with this severe, with this winter storm, is there any severe weather risk? It did come with some warm air moving all that moisture up from the Gulf. Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, yeah, you get down into the southeastern part of the country. Florida Panhandle will be up around 80 this afternoon. They're currently at 56 degrees at Cincinnati. That's balmy by January standards. 40s across the rest of Illinois. Uh, and, and yeah, the Storm Prediction Center, uh, because of some cooling up aloft, the change of the wind field, despite it being January and only in quotes, 50s and some low 60s in through Ohio, there's probably and the likelihood of an enhanced risk of severe weather to put that into parts of the eastern Corn Belt this time of the year is uh, pretty amazing. But then again, we've had a couple of severe weather episodes uh, into uh, parts of Illinois back in the, uh, the earlier part of the month during December points on southward. And of course, back in December of a year ago, we had that Mayfield, Kentucky tornado outbreak. So just because the calendar says January 19th doesn't mean Mother Nature uh, can't serve up some severe weather. We may see that uh, over parts of the eastern Corn Belt and over the deep southeastern states as well later on this afternoon. All right, Greg. Well, you know, we've got to look ahead a little bit. You mentioned this moisture such as it is, is certainly drought relief there across parts of the Southern Plains. And I know today you will be presenting at the Farm Futures Business Summit in Coralville. It is the learning season. You're going to be talking about the look forward. Greg, we've got La Nina. She's transitioning to neutral. Is that still the trend it's moving in? Uh, that's right. Boy, you are on top of it there, Mike. That is correct. But it's a slow evolution. And we'll talk about that. That's part of the agenda that we'll take a look at. We'll update you on the current weather situation, uh, kind of a look into next week. Some folks uh, sometimes like to see how we actually put uh, this week in agribusiness together from a weather standpoint. And obviously the drought monitor came out earlier this morning. And again, modest improvement relative to uh, you know, wintertime, especially noted where the grounds have thawed out and the rains have been able to percolate on in into parts of the eastern Corn Belt. And as you pointed out, yeah, it's a slow, emphasizing slow demise of La Nina. Uh, these are not ping pong balls in the atmosphere. It takes a while for the atmosphere to catch up 
uh, while ocean temperatures change. And it, are we moving into neutral state? Is there El Nino ahead? We'll talk about that. And of course, a quick little couple of comments, uh, kind of the uh, mainstream vernacular these days, stratospheric warming, polar vortex, all that kind of stuff. And obviously the uh, big event, the rest of the winter, the springtime, and maybe even a couple of thoughts on uh, summertime uh, as it applies to the heartland. Uh, that's what we'll be presenting at the Farm Future Summit later on this afternoon. If you're going to be in town here, about one o'clock is when the weather guy will take the stage. Well, Greg, there's a lot to look forward to. There's a lot to unpack from a weather front. And I, I want to turn our focus over to California. These atmospheric rivers that have been just providing a deluge of rain to that state. Is there a link between that type of weather event and a weakening La Nina? Am I trying to correlate things that just don't mix? No, no, absolutely correct. And, you know, a typical, you know, stronger pattern or stronger moderate to strong La Nina, usually it's Northern California, the Pacific Northwest. Well, that Northwestern part of the country spared in quotes. It's been really a dead aim, almost an El Nino setup into California. In the El Nino days, we used to call it the Pineapple Express. In any event, uh, a, a trip off that La Nina is weakening is that California storm. And it will, and by the way, that will be going on hiatus here in the coming weeks as we take on, a, once again, a little more traditional, typical uh, La Nina pattern across the country. But yeah, it's been incredible through California. 500 plus uh, land or mud or debris slides going on. Uh, Tahoe, 35 to 40 feet of snow. And if you take that snow and you melt it down into the usual 10 to 1 ratio of, of uh, and the way we take a look at it from melting snow to how much would that be generally speaking in regards to a rainfall, the Sierra Pack now, the snowpack is holding about 35 inches of rain. And so prospects are certainly good. I, I know there's flooding, there's there's devastation, but from an ag standpoint, you, you can't beat that. This is really, in some areas, we're going from a drought to a flood and have experienced that across uh, California. Uh, a, a respite coming, but uh, again, the drought monitor here in the coming weeks should show a general improvement as well. Not an ending, but an improvement to the drought pattern across California. Greg, these atmospheric rivers that have hit California, of course, we've seen the headlines, we've seen the devastation across the state. I'm curious, how far east has that moisture moved? Have we seen any additional snowfalls in the Rockies or could perhaps benefit the Colorado River as we get into spring? Yes, absolutely. Again, not drought ending at all. We'll hinge once again on how we materialize the spring uh, precipitation pattern across the western states, but uh, there's been improvement. There was a respectable snowpack across the central and southern uh, Rockies, so we'll anticipate some snow melt there. The uh, likelihood of probably as well as some late season snows. Good news there, not great with cold air crossing onto the plains. So again, over the next two, three, maybe four months, still some opportunity to get additional moisture, especially in the plains, the Corn Belt locales, and points on North Carolina. All right, folks, that's Greg Solier, meteorologist from This Week in Agribusiness. Thanks for joining us, Greg. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll have more AOA right for you. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Heading to NCBA in New Orleans, February's monthly grind is taking place live on the showroom floor on Wednesday, February 1st from 9 to 10 a.m. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. Also, on Thursday at 1230 in the Learning Lounge, I'll be facilitating NCGA's panel discussion with special guests from the U.S. MEF and Port of New Orleans on what you need to know about the value of trade and exports to your operation. We'll see you in New Orleans. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track, no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. 
I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.